So have you ever joined a gym? I joined a gym one time. I uh, would go really, really early in the morning or really, really late at night when there wasn't a lot of people there. Just kind of helped me focus. Um, I, I did all right for, for months, really. Um, and, and, you know, I, I didn't go and lift weights and I didn't look at myself in the mirrors while I was lifting weights or doing my workout. Um, no, I just I kind of just did my own thing, a little, little treadmill, a little elliptical, some, some light machine weights, not, not, nothing crazy. But, but ultimately, I had to quit going to the gym. And really, it almost could boil down to one particular reason. And the reason I couldn't go is there was just way too much grunting. Just way too much grunting. I mean, even, even when I have my earbuds in and I'm listening to sermons or I've got loud music, some, some Toby Mac or KB or something, I mean, the, I still just hear the grunt. You know, and I'm just like, oh, I can't take it. I can't take it. There's just too much grunting. It was, it was just constant, just constant grunting. If you've ever been in the gym, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I found an article from about a year ago, and it, it lists things you should never do at the gym. And number three was listed like this. Don't grunt the entire time. And something you should never do. James Shapiro is a certified trainer, fitness trainer, and he said this about grunting at the gym. No one is impressed. You're awarded no points, and no one will talk to you. That is a very true statement. Now, he, he didn't get off too, too far from that. Then he gave, though, this healthy alternative that goes like this. Please relearn how to breathe properly, which will also help you make greater increases in strength and lean muscle. How about that? You actually can gain strength from breathing properly not grunting more. That's, that's really good news. That's fantastic news. And that's not just good advice for the gym. There is a, a picture here of something we can take inside the gym and outside the gym. We continue our series, Doors, where we're looking at some of the most defining doors in life. And today's message is gym doors. And we'll be looking in First Peter uh, at Peter's words to encourage us in a very strategic way. And what we're going to find is something for your heart and your mind that will make you stronger. It'll make your soul stronger. It'll make your, your mind stronger. And you don't have to go to the gym and you don't have to grunt to get it. But if you go to the gym, this one thing that we will see today, this, this picture of things really, will actually help you breathe properly at the gym. And not just at the gym, but in every other area of your life. And it will help your physical strength, but most importantly, it will help your spiritual strength. So what is this picture that we will see? Well, join me as we walk through some different gym doors and we consider God's truth in 1 Peter, beginning with verse 13. Peter writes this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Now, why did Peter begin with the word therefore? Well, right before this, Peter has been writing, and he's writing to some Christians who were experiencing a great deal of persecution and suffering. They, they were really struggling. And what did he say to them? Well, he wanted them to see that when they became a Christian, they received a living hope. 
Now, when we talk about hope, it usually sounds something like this. Well, hey, I hope I get to go to the beach next weekend, you know, or, or I hope I get a good teacher this year, or I hope I get good students this year, or I hope those test results come back from the doctor, or I hope I get that promotion at work, or I hope that food truck with the pineapple whip, I hope, I hope they're there this week. We, we have these hopes that maybe things will turn out. But that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about when we talk about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This hope is different because it's based almost solely on one significant, historically evidenced, spiritually affirmed fact. And that fact is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The letter to the Hebrews describes Jesus with this terminology that he has the power of an indestructible life. That means there was never a a millisecond of a square inch in the space-time continuum where Jesus was ever going to stay dead. He wasn't going to stay dead from the cross to the final breath of Jesus. There was never going to be a moment that he was not going to be alive again. There was never going to be a moment because he is the only being that is truly indestructible. It is his character, his nature to be indestructible. And the power of that indestructible life defines what it means to be a Christian. It defines what it means to be saved. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not just a religious belief. It's it's not just religious activity. It's not just a religious experience. Salvation in Jesus Christ is completely wrapped up in the indestructible life of Jesus. And that means that no matter who your teacher is, and no matter who your students are, and and no matter who the former president is or the next president is, no matter what you face in any moment in life, no matter what you want or what you don't want, there is absolutely nothing because of the indestructible life of Jesus that can take away your eternal inheritance with God, an inheritance that is more precious and more valuable than gold. All of that protected by the one true God of the universe and all of that for your soul forever and ever and ever. The indestructible life of Jesus means that you have a living hope. It means that you actually own something that could never be taken away from you and it's the most valuable thing in the universe. That's why Peter said, hey, you know what? You're suffering, you're discouraged, you're down. Let me remind you, you have a living hope. Sounds like that'd be encouraging. Encouraging to to know that, that you have a hope that cannot die no matter what's happening in or around you. So if you're a Christian, just a a curiosity question for your soul. Does your salvation encourage you like that? Or is your salvation mostly just a a checked box on a card in the church office? Because that's not what it's designed to be. We have a living hope. So let's live in it. Peter encourages them by saying they have a a living hope, but he also wanted to be sure they weren't overwhelmed in their suffering. 
When we're suffering, when we're frustrated, when things are really hard, we feel it. I mean, it's heavy. And he didn't want them to to feel overwhelmed in those things. He rather wanted them to feel overwhelmed with what they had. And and what did they have? Well, he's going to help them see what they had by looking in the past. He's going to look at the people and the prophets of previous generations to try to encourage them in the middle of their suffering. This is what he says back in verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is an incredible thing, he says, to encourage them. He says, look, all the work of the Old Testament prophets, all of their labor, all of their studying, all of their grieving, all of the time and energy, all of their suffering, it was for you. Not you like just the people back in in the Bible times, but for you, for, for me and for you. Their labor, their work, was so that we would be able to see and hear and know and find and hold a living hope. This living hope of Jesus. The prophets were expending every breath, all of their their prayers, all of their work, all of their suffering, all of their studying, all of their preaching, everything they were doing was so that we could find the greatest surprise of all surprises. And what is that surprise? This is how Paul said it to the folks at Rome. There is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who or what is making you feel condemned these days? Who's making you feel condemned? Who's, Who's condemning you, so to speak? Is it your spouse, your parents, your kids? Is it your boss or or your teacher, your students? Is it your own sin, your your own emotions? Maybe political or, or social enemies? Maybe even your health? Maybe your, your taxes? You know, what's condemning? What are you feeling condemned with? Salvation in Jesus Christ is the only reality that can change your story from condemnation to no condemnation. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the only reality that can change the story from guilty to not guilty, from lost to found, from without God and without hope in this world to a living hope that can never be taken away. No condemnation, all in Jesus Christ. In other words, your standing changes. Listen, if you make more money this year, your standing with the IRS is going to change. If you get a a bad evaluation at work, your standing with your job is going to change. If you don't cut your grass for three months, your standing with your neighbors is going to change. We, we understand the, the concept of our standing changes. 
part of what it means to yield your life to Jesus Christ is that Jesus, by the power of his indestructible life, changes your standing, and your standing can never change again. Your your standing with God is secure. So Peter, in, in trying to encourage suffering Christians, persecuted Christians, Christians that were down and frustrated, full of despair, the way he does it is by going to the Old Testament, Calling, calling on history and the prophets because what they were doing was not actually for them, and they knew it. How many of our parents and grandparents live their life every day not trying to figure out how they can get to a fun weekend, but they were living for us? Like their mindset was, I'm doing today what I'm doing, not for me, but I'm doing it for the next generation. Adults, how many of us think like that? I mean, especially in the church. How many of us are thinking what we're doing today on August 14th is not so that we'll like the church, but so that the church will be here in 40 years holding up the truth of the gospel. The Old Testament prophets, they knew they weren't working for themselves. They were working for us. And so Peter's saying, look, I know your suffering feels heavy. I I know it it feels overwhelming. I know all of these things happening are, are really bad, but don't fix your eyes on those things. He says, fix your eyes on what you have. Fix your eyes on what those people were longing to see. And you have it. And it's the good and great news of the gospel. Are you struggling to believe in God? Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian and you, and you just honestly tell your heart, yeah, I'm kind of struggling to believe in God. Or maybe you are a Christian and, and you're struggling to believe in the truth about God. I would just give you a, a very simple encouragement. I, I think I gave it again last week. Look at Jesus. Look at, study, read about the truth about Jesus because all of the prophecies and all of the promises, all of the expectations, all of the revelations, all of the salvation, it's all found in Jesus. All of it. And what about that last little statement from Peter? Things into which angels long to look. What in the world? It's almost like we're in the Super Bowl, like we're in the game, we're on the field, we're engaged. And the angels are only allowed to watch the game from home, but they are ecstatic that they get to watch the game. They're they're overwhelmed with the truth of the game. And so Peter, writing to his, his suffering, discouraged friends, he says, look, if the angels are peeking in to see this work of God. This this work of God where he is rescuing and redeeming, where he is stirring people to repent and rejoice, to receive everlasting life, to have everlasting condemnation removed, and to receive an everlasting inheritance. If the angels look in on this game, this story, this moment in history that is now decades and decades and decades in gracious longing. 
and they're looking at it with excitement. And we actually are in the middle of it. Shouldn't we be excited too? Peter says, man, don't, don't miss what's, what's happening in this moment. Be as excited, or at least in the, the same realm of being excited as the angels. See, here's the thing. There's nothing necessarily evil about, about sports or, or binge-watching TV or, or big concerts or, or cool cars or, or fantastic vacations or manly tools or, or our latest hunting or golfing or antiquing trips or whatever it else is that you do. But there's a thing, and that thing is all of the things in life are kind of causing us to no longer get excited about God like we're, we're so wrapped up in all the fun things of life and the things we enjoy that that we're having a hard time looking at this moment where a person is saved where salvation comes from a person where they escape condemnation and damnation we kind of look at it and go that is so neat that is so good for you Instead of being excited, instead of looking into all that is happening in the same way that, that the angels longed. Listen, it is crazy exciting for your standing with God to change. It's crazy exciting for you to go from death to life. It's exciting to know that you're no longer condemned. It's exciting to know that you don't have to fear death. It's exciting to know that there is coming a day where truly you will no longer experience pain and suffering and despair and frustration and anger and all the other emotions in life. There is coming a day where you will not be overwhelmed with a, a difficult spouse or a rebellious child or, or frustrated about the government. There is coming a day when there is nothing in this world that will overwhelm you. You will just live in the joy and the radiance of God. It's not a fairy tale. This, this isn't make-believe. It's not mumbo-jumbo. It is exciting to find Jesus. It is exciting to know Jesus. It is exciting to accept Jesus, to be accepted by Jesus. It's exciting to be protected by Jesus. It's exciting to be promised to Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, to be found by Jesus, to be rescued by Jesus. It is exciting to know that you will be with Jesus forever. That's why Peter said, therefore. <laughs> so we got one word down. That's not bad, right? So what else does he say? Look, continuing in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. The King James Bible translates this as gird up your loins. All right, what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, you know, you had your, your big long robe and you would take the, the long part of the robe and you'd bring it up in between your legs and stuff it down in your belt so your legs were free so you could run. So it's all about gird up your loins so you can run. 
But of course, here, we're not talking about physical running. He says, your mind. So we're talking about running with our mind. See, we all have the idea of what it's like to go to the gym. We go to the gym, we know how to to do some exercises that will help us do something good for our bodies. But as Christians, we also need to go to the spiritual gym to do something that's spiritually good, not just for our bodies, but for our hearts and our minds and our very souls. So how do we do that? Well, mostly the way we do that is we have to have minds that are saturated in the things of God. We, we have to know the, the truth about God. The true things about God have to kind of swirl around in our minds. But, but let me say this. I think that is harder right now than at any other time that I've experienced in my life. Over the last three years, it seems to be difficult to have a conversation with a Christian about Christ. It is. It's somewhat hard because we're so obsessed with sports and and TV binge watching and, and TikTok and our pets and our workouts at the gym and our families and our vacations and the last election and the next election and and everything else in the world. That it, it seems almost impossible for Christians to actually have a conversation about the grace of God and the goodness of God and the fact that our standing has changed. Think about all the terrible things that are happening in the world right now. And outside of the the direct power and influence of the prince of darkness, outside of the normal impact of, of sin and evil in the world, have we stopped and considered that perhaps one of the contributing factors to the breakdown of society as a whole is that Christians can't seem to talk to one another about the gospel. So if we can't talk to one another about the gospel, then we're surely not going to talk to people who are condemned and separated from God, who don't believe in God about the gospel. Now look, that's not a guilt trip. I'm just repeating the challenge from Peter. And the challenge from Peter is prepare your minds. And look, I love you enough to make you mad at me, okay? You cannot prepare your minds with the gospel with Fox, CNN, or MSNBC. You can't. And friends, we are downloading hours of information and barely downloading minutes of the gospel. And we wonder why we're so mad and so frustrated and so overwhelmed. And we wonder why the church seems to have so little impact in the world it's because we are no longer gospel people the gospel is not coming out of our mouths and that's why peter knowing they were suffering knowing they were discouraged knowing they were angry and frustrated didn't tell them to watch more news he said look prepare your minds with the true things of god so how can you do that All right, here's just three quick ways that we're going to try over the next three days, okay? It's a little challenge for all of us. Three three things. Uh, Some of these I I picked up from podcasts and and my readings this week. Uh, Number one, read your Bible 
before you look at your phone. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, I read my Bible on my phone. That's cute, but we all know that you know that you check the news or you crush that candy before you open the Bible app. All right. Um, and and look, there's nothing wrong with like a book. You know, it's good. Hold it in your hand. It'd be, it'd be good. Just let's just see over the next three days what would happen if that book is in your hands before your phone is. Okay, that's, that's the first thing. Not hard. I mean, it's impossible, but you know, it's not hard. You know. Uh, second thing, uh, pray before you make your coffee. I know some of you just said that's heresy. What in the world? Um, pray before you make your coffee. Pray before you make your smoothie. Um, pray before you whatever you make first. Pray. Be- and again, I'm not talking about you got to sit down for you know 73 minutes and pray. You know, we talked about this last week. Don't underestimate you know the power of of what God can do in five seconds. And some of you are going, okay, good. I'll pray five seconds, but then I'm making my coffee. All right, I'm not not going much longer. But just just pray before you do whatever that first thing is with food and drink and whatever you do in the morning. And then the third thing is this: take one thing that you see in the morning about God. And take it with you into the day, like on purpose. On purpose, take that one thing you've seen or heard or read about God and on purpose, look for ways to bring it into a conversation with somebody. It, it might be somebody who's not a Christian. It might be somebody who is a Christian. But just those three things. Read your Bible before you look at your phone. Pray before you make whatever food or drink that you normally make. And then Think of the one thing and just take it with you for the purpose of bringing it up in conversation during the day. Let's just do those three things over the next three days, okay? Not, not hard, just those three things over the next three days. Let's just see what happens. Let's, let's just see what happens and let's just, we'll see what happens with us and let's see what happens beyond us. And of course, if you wanna go beyond three days, solid goal, that's, that's good too. Those three things for three days can be a part of our spiritual workout and then peter gives us something else verse 13 keep sober in spirit you know that word sober we tend to always connect it with you know being drunk but you know we can be drunk with a lot more than alcohol right how many of you have been drunk with fear this week how many of you have been drunk with with anger this week with with worry with stress how many of you have been been drunk with laziness or lust so we, we can be drunk with all kinds of things. And, and when we are, what happens is we lose our focus on, on what the choir's saying, you know, that God's amazing and that he can amaze us, on what we sang, that God will prevail, that he cannot fail. So if we're not sober in spirit, if our attitudes are not focused, we will lose sight of what's true and what's right. So what Peter is saying is, look, prepare your minds with the true things, and then keep your attitude sober. Stay alert, stay focused. Keep your eyes, the eyes of your heart specifically, fixed on Jesus. And then he gives us something else for our workout in verse 13. Set your hope completely. What does it mean to do something completely? Do you cheer for your favorite college team partially or completely? You know, when your team makes a touchdown, do you high five, fist bump, scream, or do you turn to the person next to you in the stadium and very quietly go, yay, go team. We, we know how to do things completely, right? If you haven't had anything to eat all day long, 
and you sit down at the end of the day and somebody's made you steak and potatoes or, or they've made you tomato tofu casserole, if that's your thing, whatever, and, and, and you haven't eaten all day long and you sit down and you can take a couple little nibbles and go, oh, I'm so full, push it away. No, no, we, we know how to eat completely. <laughs> we know how to cheer completely. We know how to eat completely. We know how to, to sing completely. We know how to watch TV completely. We know how to, to go to the spa completely. You know, we know how to work completely. We know how to work out completely. We, we know how to do things completely. And so Peter says, take your hope and set it completely. Like, like get, it, get it to the point that it's everything you got right in here. And where's here? Verse 13. Completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling them, take every expectation you have in life, every anticipation that you have in life, all the affections that you have in life, and set them solely and completely on Jesus. Now, now practically, what does that mean? Again, you know, because we're in the South, you know, we're, we're days away from, you know, the start of college football. We, we know the expectations, the anticipations. You know, oh, we had a great recruiting year, and man, we've got some good guys that are stepping up this year, and everything seems to be gelling, and then you lose the first game, you know? Or you win the first game. See, the expectations and anticipations of so many things in life, we know how to get worked up about so many things in life. But Peter is saying, look, take your greatest expectations and your greatest anticipations and set them completely on Jesus. Why? Because if your hope is completely set on Jesus, then if your team wins or loses, your ultimate hope will not be touched. If you don't get a great present for your birthday or for Christmas, your ultimate hope will not be touched. If you don't get that wedding venue that you hope you would get, your, your ultimate hope will not be touched. If you fail a test or if the test results come back in a way that you don't want, your ultimate hope will not be touched. If the economy takes a nosedive or if the government doesn't follow through on what it's promised, your ultimate hope will not be touched. See, what Peter's doing in the midst of their suffering is he's trying to get them to walk through the gym doors of the gospel. He's trying to, to get them to see what it means to prepare their minds, to keep their attitudes, their spirits sober, and their hope completely on Jesus because he knew that's the only way that their confidence will not be shaken. The world may be shaken. Everything in our world may be shaken. But to hope in Jesus Christ means our confidence will not be shaken. That we don't have to melt down. We don't have to lose it. Because our ultimate hope will not be touched. Ben Watson is a former professional football player. He said this, In my experience, the gym can be a very deceptive place. He describes it like this. Strategically placed mirrors, loud motivating music, and the adrenaline of competition provide a brief escape from the real woes of the day. Now, let me bounce off the gym just for a second. He's right. 
the gym is this escape of grunting and everything else, and you go, oh, and, and, and the world is, is not in there for a moment, right? You know what also works is go sit in a movie theater for two hours, you know, and, and, and the world, you know, kind of disappears, you know. Some people go get drunk on a Friday night and the world, you know, disappears. Some people take a vacation and, and the world disappears. But guess what happens when you sober up? Guess what happens when you leave the gym? Guess what happens when you come back from vacation? Guess what happens when the movie is over? The, the world is right back there. So it doesn't mean any of those things are wrong. Well, getting drunk, maybe. But it doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong. But it does mean this, that whatever our escape is, the world will still be there when we finish our workout. It'll still be there. So what we need is something for the workout, something in the, the middle of the suffering, something in the middle of the frustration and the aggravation, and that's what Peter's doing. And that's what Ben Watson is trying to help us see, that the gym can deceive us. He goes on to say this, in the gym life, our innate depravity compounded by the goals we set, the achievements we earn, the failures we try to forget, and the grief we endure has the same masking effect. In other words, it puts a mask on the reality of what's going on. And then he calls it a blind spot. He says it blinds us from identifying our deadly condition in sin and from addressing our greatest need, life and King Jesus. Our greatest need is life in King Jesus. And then this former workout monster football player says this, Jesus alone illuminates our world, exposes our darkness, and fulfills our need. Remember the words of that certified trainer? Relearn how to breathe properly. The only way you can truly breathe properly is by addressing your greatest need. And even if you don't believe in God, even if, if you're not sure about anything about God, the inner linings of your soul have been created with the desire to escape darkness to escape sin, to escape evil. And the only way to truly escape those three things is through Jesus. He is the only ultimate eternal light. And you may be convinced in your mind and heart today that the greatest thing you need is a good start to the school year, you know, or, or good grades. Or you may be convinced that your greatest need is, is more money. Or you may be convinced that your greatest need is for a certain person to be president or not be president. And you may have a, a whole nother list of your greatest needs. I, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. However, the inner linings of your soul have been created with some quantum metaphysical DNA that recognizes and discerns that your greatest need is Jesus. Why? Well, why is Jesus your greatest need? Well, Jesus is your greatest need because it's only by walking through the gym doors of the gospel 
and finding and embracing the power of the indestructible life of Jesus. That's the only way that you will find hope that you can completely pour your life in for every single moment. All the good breaths and the last breath. All of that hope is found in Jesus. In other words, if we're talking about relearning to breathe, it's only in the indestructible life of Jesus that you can truly breathe. But not, not just today, but tomorrow and next Thursday and next month. It's only in the indestructible life of Jesus that your soul can have the hope where you can truly breathe. So, turn to Jesus and breathe.